Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. I begin today's podcast, as always, by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. Today, we address an issue that is top of mind for every organisation, be they public, private or not-for-profit, and that is the future of work. And it's not just here in Australia. The OECD says that the context and challenges of the public sector are changing at such a rapid pace that the capabilities of public servants must keep up. It's a first order issue as organisations seek to understand just what are the skills, the knowledge, the behaviour and the attitude that they will need in their people to successfully compete and operate in a digitally enabled, data-led mobile world. Now, of course, the APS, being the diligent enterprise that it is, has been thinking and planning for many years and recently released the APS Workforce Strategy for 2025, and it's called Delivering for Tomorrow. Now, if you haven't had a chance to read that report, I would commend it to you because what it does do is set out a very clear context, objective, and action plan, and it calls out the specific challenges of attracting, building and retaining skills, expertise and talent, embracing data and technology, and flexible and responsive work models, also strengthening integrity and purposeful leadership. To discuss the APS Workforce Strategy, I'm joined by Mary Wiley-Smith, who is the Deputy Commissioner of the Australian Public Service Commission, and Claire Walsh, the Deputy Secretary of Business Enabling Services at the Department of Finance. To Mary and Claire, welcome to Work With Purpose. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, listen, before we get started, I should declare an interest that Content Group is currently working with the APSC on what is a very exciting and highly prospective project, the APS Academy, which indeed is an important part of the APS workforce strategy. So I thought in the interest of transparency that I would point out that that is taking place. But Mary, if I might start with you, workforce really is the APSC's core business. So... How challenging is it for the APSC to assemble a workforce that can consistently meet the needs of government and through them, the needs of the Australian people? Great question. Um, And I would say that the APSC doesn't do anything by itself, that we're kind of sitting at the heart of the public service and that we work pretty closely with all of our agencies out there. The workforce strategy is, if you like it, it's an umbrella um, for what we need to achieve for the future. And you just went through and listed kind of three focus areas that we're really looking at at the moment um, around data and digital, attracting and retaining talent, and also really building the leadership qualities that we want for the future with that strong focus on integrity. So the strategy that the APSC led the development of kind of is um, the overarching plan, if you like, for what we need to get to do in the future to ensure that we can continue to uh, deliver for government and also for the Australian people. And, uh, you know, the workforce is changing, like you've just said. I started 30 years ago and it was certainly a different world. We didn't have uh, internet. 
Um, and when you look at how we're established, the classifications that we have within the public service, it was all kind of set up back then. And so it's timely, I think, that we look at what we need for the future now. Um, and going forward um, just to make sure that we are fit for purpose. And I know Thodi Review also talked about this and the need for the workforce strategy. It is the first workforce strategy um, for the public service and um, there's lots of work to be done. One of the first initiatives under it is um, has just been announced and it's the hierarchy and classification review, which I think, um, given that it has been 30 years since we've looked at this issue um, in detail, pretty important for us to get right, um, to make sure that we have staff that are engaged, empowered, and um, ready, for, ready for the future. You also just mentioned the APS Academy. That's another initiative from the Workforce Strategy. And we really want to build that capability of the staff that we have um, for the future because the APS, like all employees, uh, all employers, I should say, um, we're only as strong as the staff um, that we have um, in the in the institutions. So if you, were to, if you were to look at though that those contextual challenges, because it's a competitive marketplace out there for, for skills, um, and again, adapting, changing mindsets so people can be agile, is, is there any one particular area where you're going to sort of start, you know, the, the work about getting people ready and, and getting the APS workforce ready to, to, to meet the challenges that we know that are coming? Yeah. So one of the key initiatives that I think all agencies will really need to focus on from the strategy is doing their own workforce planning. And we have a centre of excellence within the APSC that can assist them to do it. But as part of that planning, they really need to look at what are the skills they need for the future? And that goes to basically everything that they do on workforce, how they attract their people, how they build their capability. Um, and you know, we know that automation is happening. We know that AI, um, there's technology changes. So through the work that we're doing in that space and the work with the National Skills Commission, we're working out where we need to reskill people to do other types of um, activities and other types of jobs. And the good news for the public service is that we've got time to do that and we need to, though we need to start now. So that will be pretty crucial and it's something that um, I know Claire is working with us on through the Chief Operating Officer Committee because they've um, just agreed, I think, at the last meeting to um, really focus on doing some skills pilots in agencies mm. so that we can share it with all agencies and see what we need to do because we do need to attract slightly different types of skill sets. You just talked about um, um, staff that have got very good... Uh, entrepreneurial kind of skills, um, um, people skills, mm. communicating, negotiating. And traditionally, we've been very focused on the analytical skills. They're still important, um, but we also know that we need uh, specialist skills and experts in particular areas so that we don't have to rely on contractors. Yeah. And that's pretty important. And I know the, the Chief Operating Officer Committee is really focused on this and getting these skills pilots up and running and so that we can all learn from it. Okay. Well, that'll be interesting to follow, but I've got a list here from a speech that Peter Woolcott made and change leadership, design capability, commercial and business acumen, data analytics, behavioural economics, organisational psychology. Claire, these are different skills that are going to have to be integrated into the public service and these pilots sound like a pretty smart way to go about that. From your point of view, sitting there at the Department of Finance, again, you have 
some responsibilities for whole of government, particularly in areas like procurement. But what do you see as, as your particular challenges as you're starting to develop your workforce? In the Department of Finance? Yeah. So I think that it's important to start by saying that or dispelling any sense that we're starting from a zero base. Yeah, I think... So, yes, there are these emerging areas that we recognise that we need to upskill in, but that's not to say that we don't have pockets that we can build on and connect across the service. So, before I go directly to your question about the Department of Finance, I think, firstly, some of the work that the APSC has done with this workforce strategy is allow us to have a look at the service as a whole and in the coup Mm. committee feel more confident, and we're starting this journey, to know where there is actually good practice or things that we can build on Mm. and not sort of try and reinvent this in every single department over and over again. So I think that that's a really important thing for us to do as a service, um, as well as within our own organisations. And so if I I think about the Department of Finance, uh, I've only been there just under a year and it probably shows my ignorant in admi- ignorance in admitting that I underestimated the diversity mm. um, in that por- in this portfolio and in in the department. And so we have areas where we need deep expertise. Now that's in commercial because of the nature of the government business enterprises that we um, have responsibilities for. It's certainly in budget. But a budget is not really about just numbers, obviously. It's actually being able to see what all the various components of the budget add up to and see across that to see, you know, how you put the tapestry together in a way. So that sophistication is really important. Um, I mean, I can go through a lot of different areas within the department, but one thing that strikes me is that ability to see where the Australian community wants to go because all we are is conduits um, of advice that has to be deeply embedded in what the Australian people are looking for. and So we need to understand that better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think our ability to actually connect with community uh, and be able to understand what that means in terms of policy advice and program settings uh, is really important and an area to continue to develop. So if the workforce strategy, which, as I say, and, and I would encourage people to go and have a look at it because it is a very clear articulation of exactly what is needed and what's got to be done, but these are uh, skills that everyone's looking for. This is a hyper-competitive market. Um, perhaps to you first, Claire, how competitive can the APS be in attracting people to come to work in, in the APS when there's obvious opportunity for people of these skills in many other places? So two things I would say. One is that the APS um, needs to continue to promote the value proposition of working in the public sector. I think it's um, uh, risky to assume that the workforce of the future or even the current workforce is going to be incentivised by the competitive Um, wage rates that they might Mm -hmm. be able to get, say, in the commercial sector. Sure, that's an element, but actually there's a massive value proposition that attracts people into the public service. And so I think we need to work with that and understand where and attract those people who actually see that as part of their value in their continued... It's certainly one of the big global themes, isn't it? Purpose, Purpose. you know, in in work, and obviously this podcast is work with purpose, and really it does centre 
as a as a major attractor, and yep. really the APS that's what it is. It it has it is work with purpose. Yeah, and also kind of diversity, right? You can have a really diverse career, and Mary and I can speak yeah, to. Yeah, I think that's a really you know, good point. You've got a uh, you've got very good skills, you know, in an almost general sense that are very applicable in such a wide variety mm. of policy areas, program areas. You know, I think that that's something that we really need to work on. Mm. Um, I think where some of our challenges will be, and this is not a comprehensive answer, it's just to provide you an example, I suppose, is in the area of ICT. Mm -hmm. um, I think that this is an area that's still, uh, well, still it's pretty sophisticated, it's still evolving in terms of where that's going to be, what the public service needs, what government needs and the role that we play. And I think that there's some really interesting challenges for us uh, in that particular part of our workforce. And can you explain that to me a, a little bit more in terms of of the needs around ICT? Is it, do you see that as difficult to attract or that it's evolving and therefore it's going to require a diversity of skills to enable us to make best use of, of ICT as it evolves? Um, I think both. Okay. Uh, I think that, um, you know, as we get more digital, more data-driven, more automated in some of the ways that we do functions that traditionally we would have had, you know, a person doing. Um, we uh, need people who can think that way. They might not be ICT experts. They're mm -hmm. systems thinkers, if you like, um, to connect to then the capability to build infrastructure and, you know, an ICT platform, if you like, of some sort. And then there's the kind of fast-moving environment we work in and the security issues around that. You know, it's just, it's pretty complex. And I'm not saying that it's um, impossible. It's actually really fun to think through these issues. Hmm. And so if we can have a value proposition that out, out there that says, actually, if you've got these skills yeah. and this is the kinds of, you know, in some areas, mind-bending ways of thinking about complexity, <laughs> here's the place to be, you know, if this is what you love <laughs> doing. We've got plenty of problems. <laughs> yeah. Come and solve them. What a, that's a good point that Claire raised before, I think, Mary, um, around that value proposition to come and work. And again, both of you are great demonstrations of the, the wonderful careers that you can you can have in the public service. They're wonderfully diverse and challenging and every day is is a different day across a whole range of different areas. So why do you think we haven't been good at, at, at getting that message across, that people don't see that diversity? Do you think we've just been too busy to tell the story or what is it? So I'm not sure that we've been too busy to tell the story. I think the story's there because we know that we attract amazing graduates yeah. and, um, you know, people into the service, including like year 12 leavers that are coming in, um, and they're high quality. And we know how we benchmark, particularly at our senior leadership level against the private sector, and our people are brilliant um, and they're really good at what they do in dealing with ambiguity and complexity. Um, we're very lucky because we do attract that talent. I think the issue is that we're not attracting enough talent in particular areas and Claire right. went to it with ICT. Okay. We've got ICT, data and digital are areas where we know we need to really build capability and we haven't traditionally been doing that and tapping out into the market. As you said, there's also um, a lot of interest from the private sector and other institutions in those types of skills. So mm. we're going to have to be able to build our own and retain them 
into the future. And so I think targeted kind of EVP, employee value propositions for people in those types of areas um, is going to be pretty important for us because if we don't build the skills in those areas, um, we have a bit of a issue within the service because they're the areas where we actually go out to market and we deal with the private sector. It's where, you know, sometimes we're, we're procuring large companies to come in and to assist us and to really interact with the private sector. We need to actually have experts in the service that can actually speak the language and get the most from the private sector. So for us, that's quite crucial. It's also in the ICT space, outsourcing um, was chosen way, you know, many, many years ago. Unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember it all. <laughs> but um, that was a decision made from, you know, previous governments, many previous governments. And I think we've never really caught back up in that space. Mm -hmm. And so we do rely heavily on the private sector for us as agencies as um, senior leaders in the service to make a decision about insourcing, we need to have capability first. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's absolutely crucial and we need to tap into what people that are in those sectors really want. And I suspect that it's very similar to what we see overall and it's about purpose, which you've just gone to. Um, we attract a lot of people in the public service that want to actually serve their governments and make a difference. And that's awesome because not many other institutions or employers mm. have that ability um, to offer that to, to prospective employees. And the other issue is flexibility. And so we know before COVID, we have 20% of our staff working flexibly. Um, now with COVID and, and all businesses basically moving people to working from home, that's going to have to be, I think, part of the mix um, and part of the, the value that we can offer in working in the service is continue to actually look at flexible work opportunities. And we know at the moment, I think around 50% of public servants are working flexibly at the moment. Yeah. Um, and so really tapping into that and seeing how we can actually bring people in in those particular areas, I think will be part of what we need to do for the future. And I do note, I think in the workforce strategy, it actually talks about EVP and getting out there yeah. in these sectors. Yeah, it does. Now, both of you played important roles on the coup committee, which obviously was a, you know, a key part of the, the COVID response, the government's COVID response last year. And it was, I think, generally recognised, you know, the responses, but, you know, a high watermark really for the APS. It moved quickly, efficiently, effectively into a mobile, dispersed, digital first powerhouse, really, in, in many ways. How do you, particularly as leaders, sustain the change and that momentum that's been achieved? Claire, to you first. So first, I don't want to um, be um, thanked or congratulated for work in the coup committee last year because I wasn't in the coup committee last <laughs> okay, year, so right. I don't want to take the, you know, yeah. the credit for other people's, as you say, excellent work. Um, so in some ways I've got a, a perspective to offer because I wasn't there. Okay. And I'm now um, being asked to chair the coup committee at that point of transition okay. where we're coming out of a year of very um, clear purpose and every incentive to work collaboratively and collectively because every part of the service was challenged with a whole bunch of new staff and to, and to find solutions quickly and that leads to a lot of reasons to come together and, and find solutions in a very collaborative way. So what the coup committee now is saying, is uh, having a conversation with itself about is, okay, <laughs> what does steady state look like, mm. you know, and how do you not lose all of the positives 
from last year, and there were some in terms of what we learnt about ourselves, uh, but also not um, if, we, if we made some mistakes to learn from those and, and, and self-correct, if you like. And so I think the way that we're thinking about this is um, what are the enterprise-wide set of issues that, unless we all put our heads together to try and work through, we're not going to get optimum outcomes. Now, whether that's working, uh, looking at, you know, how and where will our workforce be operating over you know, the next, say, let's pick five years. Seems a good enough number. So it picks up the issues of flexible work, but it also picks up the issues of location. It picks up community expectations and staff expectations and how that's changed, but also all the other issues that come with work health and safety from security for people and information. Um, there's a whole bunch of really interconnecting set of issues that you just didn't have the time last year to think through that level of complexity. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually where the opportunity lies for us now is to actually stand back and say, okay, it was great that people learned a whole bunch of lessons by working at home, but then we were all doing that but did we fully understand every component part if you did this over a long period of time, if it became a more uh, permanent state, then what are all the things we need to think through? That's where we are. our opportunity is now, I think. And there's lots of other areas. That's just an example. But then perhaps thinking through is obviously part of it, but then it's how do you keep the system moving? How do you sort of adapt the system in such a way that it can reach this sort of because the tempo, from what I observe anyway, is still pretty high across lots of places. You know, the problems aren't going away. They're quite complex. So how do you do that thinking at a time where there is still quite a bit of momentum in the system? Well, I mean, there's no easy answer to that. Mm. You just have to make that space and that time because all of us know while you're in the moment, it feels impossible to find that space and time. You know that if you don't, it's only going to get worse in terms of your inability to grab hold of these kind of big issues and run with them. Mm. And, and you know, Mary can speak to this because she has been on the coup journey the whole uh, way. Um, but the coup committee, and look, there's mo it's not just the coup committee that's going to so, you know, be a sure. part of the answers to this question, yeah. but um, the level of participation, ongoing enthusiasm, desire to be practical. So the coup committee, for example, does not see itself as doing a lot of, you know, high policy thinking, yeah. it's actually like, no, no, the high policy thinking is being done. Actually get it done. Like how are we going to make this happen? And so there's a lot of people around that table that just want to get their teeth into something <laughs> and get it done. You know, like really, really very motivated to do that, right? Yeah, yeah they are. And I think um, the level of collaboration um, that we've seen across the service, mm. including in the coup committee, I hope that that continues into the future and there's a lot of goodwill um, there and they want that to happen and this kind of focus on one APS. So we're not competing between agencies. We're kind of looking at solutions that um, will actually benefit the whole of the APS. So I think that's pretty important and and it's, it's interesting. When you go back and have a look at Thodi Review and the government's, um, like their, their accepted recommendations from Thodi, it talked about a whole range of things that they would like to change in the public service. Um, early on in COVID, um, we paused the COVID, the, the Thodi review mm. and the government's response because we thought we're too busy because all these other things are happening. We need to support the community. 
in reality, a lot of the future state which mm. they were talking about that they'd like to see, it happened mm. because of COVID. And that's that one APS. It's the surge. working with each other. It's, yeah, the surge, um, you know, staff just being mobilised, moving between departments because you needed to actually ensure that we were supporting the community. It just happened. And it's how we capture that into the future. And already the coup committee and also secretaries and agencies are looking at some of these success stories and how we embed them. And one of them is the surge that we mm. saw to Services Australia with 2,000 staff mm. going out at the same time as everybody else was going home to work. You know, they were going out to Tuggeranong to work in a, in a kind of a, an office. And that goodwill, um, the work that was done there, that whole of government approach, um, we want to embed it. So we've now set up a permanent surge reserve and already we've had over 2,000 staff put their hand up to say they want to be part of that into the future. And all the agencies, all the way through to Secretary's Board, agreeing that this is something that the public service that we need to invest in and make sure happens for the future. So it's now kind of being normalised, if you like, um, mm. but it happened because of COVID and our response. So the one APS sort of construct, I think, it, as, as a theme is a, a very interesting theme, given that perhaps traditionally it may not have been as strong as it is now and certainly the focus and the leadership that's been brought around that. Uh, and a question to both of you is in your leadership roles as you look further into the future, what what else would you like to see come to life as part of that 1APS? Claire, to you first maybe. So given that we're talking about kind of workforce strategy and planning, mm. um, one of the things that has struck me uh, recently and, and in particular recent conversations around the APS Academy is thinking about an individual, an individual's career. So I recall when I started in the public service, I don't know, 22 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. I was such a young person. <laughs> That's not true. Um, I don't think I ever had a conversation with anybody about... Yeah. development and my career, except in the context of the job I was in at the time. Mm. And being able to sort of step back and have many more conversations now about actually, if you're going to spend whatever time you define your career to be, tight 10 years, 20 years, a lifer, then what does that look like to be, you know, the best that public servant you can be in serving Australian people. And that makes you start thinking about the connections across the public service, right? Because if you're not going to, I don't think the person, the APS person of the future will be the person who stays in the same area. Yep. There's certainly going to be some of that, right? But I think, well, we're hoping a lot more mobility. Mm -hmm. But if you think about that more in terms of your whole career and what that brings both to the public service and, and to yourself, I think you start thinking about this one APS collectively in a very different way. It sort of generates a momentum around that. Mm -hmm. That's just, again, a, a narrow yeah. part of the story. No, no. Yeah, and I just want to say ditto because, um, and I know Claire and I have talked about this anyway, <laughs> um, but this is really crucial, I think. Um, we see so many uh, people, including senior leaders, we have a lot of information on them now and their journey through the public service. Most of the time when they hit a talent assessment, um, and sometimes that's at the band three level, that's the first time that they've ever stopped, thought about their career, their strengths and weaknesses, where they want to go. And um, and that's pretty shocking because it's kind of like we've failed somewhere along the line. Yeah. 
because it's okay to develop ourselves and to know who we are, strengths and weaknesses, and what we need to do to actually build our capability over time and to be the best that we can be. And that hasn't been happening. And so we can see that. And so we hope that that will actually be different in the future. And that is part of the work that the Academy will be focusing on. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know if you're you know, going out to the private sector, um, they would be shocked if they saw the comparison. And I think even going back to 30 Review, I think the private sector members of that panel were very shocked at how much money and investment um, we put into development of capability of our people, which are our greatest asset. It was it was minuscule. And mm. so uh, there's a bit of a problem there. And um, hopefully the, the future will look very different. Mm. But I suppose the, the, you know, the first step to resolution is to identify these quite specific things because it's you know, new types of skills, it's new mindsets, and it's really this whole thing of a career management, like that that would be a great, you know, uh, innovation into the public service to, to create value for people over time, wouldn't it? Yeah, and also I think, you know, increasingly we're understanding that this artificial differentiation we've had between, oh, I'm a policy person, I'm a yeah. program person, I'm a regulator or I'm a, you know, it's not like these are in, uh, non uh, unconnected pieces of the work that we do. You can't do good program if you don't have good policy. You can't do good policy if you don't understand how program work. You can't really good do international policy if you don't connect that to domestic and, and vice versa. Like, you know, the world is getting smaller and smaller in many ways um, and our ability to be able to traverse across all of that and comprehend it means we need perspective and you kind of don't get perspective, you know, just by sort of staying in one area or doing one kind of skill and just honing that particular skill. Mm. Well, what do you need from, you know, the men and women in the APS who are listening to this podcast? What do they need to do to play their part? Again, you're at the that strategic leadership level at the top, and there's a and we'll come to that question of leadership in a more in, in more detail just in a moment. But what do you need from from people in order to make this change, to create this new reality? Mary, I'll go to you first. <laughs> Good. I'm watching. Um, I'm, watching <laughs> I'm watching Claire's face here. I'm just look. We're both kind of looking at each other. I actually think that we need to give our staff permission um, to really focus on what they need um, to actually build their capability and to have a career in the public service. And I suspect that's not there. I think. Um, from the engagement that I've had to date with a lot of people coming through some of our leadership courses and talent programs, um, they're very focused on doing the job at hand and delivery and what they need to, to get done in a day. Um, and they're not focused on themselves and they're our greatest asset. And so somehow allowing them to be able to focus and understand that that's part of what they need to do as a good public servant is to actually think about their own development and capability and their career and where they want to head and why, I think that's probably the most important thing that we as leaders can do for them. And the most important thing that they can do is actually take up that offer and really look at um, what they want to do. A lot of people in the public service just go to different jobs because they're asked to. Um, I think that people need to take a bit of ownership of their own career and really think about who they are as individuals, what's important to them, what are their values and what they want to achieve during their career and actually they should be in the driver's seat. Mm. 
Do you think they also have a responsibility to to step into some of this opportunity and to have ideas and to innovate and to push forward rather than sitting and waiting and being perhaps static rather than contributing, Claire? Well, of course, you always want, you know, any workforce to be one that's uh, engaged and enthusiastic and people tend to be engaged and enthusiastic where they see opportunity to contribute. So any, you know, organisation should have a culture where that is... Uh, valued. But to add on to Mary's comment just now, I think the other thing that um, I would encourage anyone in the APS to think about um, is to continue to focus on their engagement and curiosity with um, external parties uh, where expertise lies. Now, that is both in terms of, you know, private sector, industry, non-government enterprises, community groups who actually live and breathe this thing on whatever it is on a daily basis. Like, how do we feel confident in the advice that we give to government that we are drawing on, you know, a really diverse set of um, skills and experience that isn't just the public service one? Now, we've always done this. I'm not saying this is a new thing that's revolutionary or... But I just think it's something we need to continue honing and doing really well is being able to harness that expertise. Just a, a final sort of topic before before we close out, and it's around leadership and the importance of leadership through an organisation, not just sitting, you know, the people that sit at the top. What are your views on, on what needs to happen around leadership inside the APS in order for it to achieve this one APS high-performing status where it is delivering across a range of skills motivated staff? How, how do we get leadership really embedded into the work that, that is happening on a, on a daily basis? Well, I guess my starting point would be that to be a really good leader in the APS and regardless of what level you're at, I don't think leadership starts, as you said, at a certain uh, classification, mm. um, is seeing yourself not just a leader in your work unit or your department even, it's actually what does leadership mean more broadly across the public service? So when you think about whatever you're doing in your your place of work, your point of time, stepping back, seeing a broader perspective and connecting with that because I think a lot of leadership is confused with management and actually I want to sort of separate that out and say actually leadership is being able to stand back, see a broader perspective, provide vision and, and uh, you know, guidance if you like um, and, yeah, see beyond yourself and see yourself as part of something bigger. Okay. Mary? Yeah, I'd, I'd, um, I agree with, with Claire and if you have a look at even like in the Public Service Act what it says about the SES cohort and what they were established to do, it's actually the system-wide leadership mm. And so it's really important that we do focus on that, particularly at the senior le leadership um, cohorts. But for me, it's actually, as a leader in the public service, I think it's about empowering your staff. And so really pushing down responsibility, mm. enabling them to grow, helping them with their challenges and guiding them, but not stepping in and doing it, and focusing on their, build, their, their capability and how you build it. And... We know that sometimes that doesn't happen, um, unfortunately, and that risk is kind of elevated. But I think that they're an amazing resource for the future. We need to really focus on them 
And unless we as leaders take responsibility and make sure that we're there to nurture and to nourish that capability build for them, I think that the public service, um, you know, um, the stewardship won't look as good as it could. Mm. And we've got to think about the future as leaders. And that means that we're actually building the people that we're working with. A final question on indulgence. Um, and it's a personal question to both of you, really. How, how are you feeling when you look at this? This is a big, big task. It's not going to happen in five minutes. There's lots to do. And as you say, you know, you could break this down. But how personally are you feeling about it? Because I get quite jazzed about all of this. I think that, you know, if, if you can get this sorted, you can improve the performance and then deliver for the Australian people. Like there's, it's, it's such a great thing to be involved in. You, you must feel the same way. You must feel oh, excited by the prospect. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. You're right. And, and often sometimes looking back gives you perspective. So, you know, you look back at 20 years ago uh, and think about the kind of workforce we were and what we were focused on right. and what's actually been achieved in that uh, period of time. It gives you a lot of enthusiasm, actually what can be continued mm. to be pushed. One of the areas that I think we need to do better on, and I think that we've got this great run-up to it and we've, we've done some fabulous work, is around diversity. You know, if I think about, you know, the departments I worked in of old, they don't look the same now, particularly from a gender perspective and, and you know, seniority, particularly with gender. But there's more to do in other areas. But I just think that there's a much better understanding of that and a much greater expectation from Australians that the public service represents Australia. And I just think that there's a massive piece of work that we, and that's where I feel really enthusiastic that actually we've got some opportunity in that space. Excellent. Mary? So I'm feeling um, upbeat about it. I actually think that um, we've got a lot of support across the system um, mm. for reform and to make a difference. And the fact that you've got all agencies kind of signing up to workforce strategy, um, the academy, and kind of thinking about the future and what we need to do together, I think that's an opportunity that we've just got to take. And so um, for me, all the things that we know we need to do, we've kind of, we've, we've probably known about those things for probably 15 <laughs> years. There's probably three or four reviews there that all have very similar recommendations about the future of the service. But I think at the moment we've got We've got the right climate and we've got the right support to be able to really make a difference and see some of these initiatives through. The fact that we're even doing the hierarchy and classification review at the moment, that's, um, that's huge because that's really looking at, um, you know, how you empower staff and the levels in the service and that could actually have quite, um, depending on where they end up, that could actually have quite a big transformation impact on the service and how we operate into the future. Just so quickly, could you explain time. just explain what that impact might be? So the hierarchy and class review is looking at the classifications within the service. So APS 1 to 6, EL1, EL2s, SES, and looking at is that actually what we need right now um, for the future? And we know that the um, private sector have been doing this and looking at how they're structured. And so for us, we're looking at fundamentally how we're structured. And that goes to how we operate, how we delegate. It goes to empowering staff. So instead of actually clearing a brief, for example, mm. through three or four levels, perhaps it's actually, 
it's just two people. Um, and so I think the opportunities there are fantastic and I would encourage anyone that's listening to get involved with that review. There's information on the APSC's website, so I'm doing a plug for it now, <laughs> um, and get engaged. We have Finn Pratt, Heather Smith, so both ex-secretaries, and also Catherine Fagg um, from the private sector all working on this at the moment. It's a it's an um, independent review, um, but that's just one of many things that are happening across the service at the moment, and I just think it's a really exciting time with a lot of support for and momentum for change. Well, Mary, Claire, thank you uh, for your service, and ladies and gentlemen, as you hear every week on Work With Purpose, I think we are in great hands when we have leaders such as Mary and Claire um, leading the charge, really, around this transformation, and I think this is something that... It's, it's real, it's possible, it can happen on a daily basis and really um, the benefits are there and the be- benefits are obvious. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, uh, a big thanks to you for doing that. Uh, and if you do see the social media promotion for Work With Purpose, a like, a share, a comment, a review, something like that, but push it around. Um, it's an important conversation that we've just had today, so let's make sure that as many people as possible hear what the leaders of the public service are talking about today. Thanks also to IPA, as always, for their ongoing support for Work With Purpose and also to the Australian Public Service Commission, who's been a great supporter of Work With Purpose since day one. Thanks also to the team at Content Group who work very hard uh, to get this program to air every week. So that's it for this episode of Work With Purpose. We'll be back at the same time in a fortnight, but for the moment, it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. 